holy. That's why the angels proclaim you are holy. And we the same say yes you are. As angels are crying you are holy. We the same say yes you are. Angels are crying you are holy. We the same say yes you are. Holy, holy is the Lord I hear the angels cry. Holy, holy is the Lord, the saints proclaiming to. Holy, holy is the Lord, I hear the angels cry. Holy, holy is the Lord, the saints proclaiming to. Titus, you know, to whom Paul handed 
Ephesian church and the Christian church respectively. And so he wrote to them personally so that they can know how to handle the things of God, uh, the things of church, rather. How to run the church, what doctrine to emphasize, and then how to administer the church. That's generally what the pastoral epistles are about. Verse 1, Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's hand, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but has in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, to Titus, my own son after the common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to look at tonight is, uh, you know, like I said, as he's greeting Timothy, he's dropping doctrine. Even though it's a greeting, but if you pay attention to the words that are used in the greeting, you will learn some doctrine. Now, he said, Paul is a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. Somebody say God's elect. So, we will look at the word, the doctrine of election, a little bit, the doctrine of election. Now, why is he using the word according to the faith of God's elect? Now, that word according to the faith of God's elect is something like that features also in verse 4. And if you jump to verse 4, it says to Titus, my own son, after the common faith. After the common faith. The word common there doesn't mean cheap or ordinary. It means general. According to the general faith. The faith that everyone shares. The faith that I have is the one that Victor has. Is the one that who has so it becomes a general faith. I have it, or John has it, Victor has it, Grace has it, Peter has it, you know, has it. So it becomes common, it's, it's a general faith. And so he now says, according to the faith of God's elect, the, 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 the faith that God's elect has, Paul is saying he is a participator in that faith. He's a co-sharer. The faith. God's elect. When anybody gets born again, he becomes a co-sharer. A sharer, a beneficiary of that common faith. A beneficiary of that general faith. There is a general faith and so many people who are not born again have not come into that general faith, have not accepted that general faith and so they are not uh, beneficiaries of that general faith. I want our minds, the, these things I'm saying, that when I'm done teaching this doctrine of election tonight, there is something I want you to get. So, as I keep talking, those things will start happening to your minds, your spirits, and you'll be greatly edified. God's elect. So, Paul is talking with excitement. Oh, Titus, I'm greeting you. I have become a participator, a beneficiary, a co-sharer in the faith of God's elect, that common faith, 
which I shared with you, and you got born again. Titus, you got born again under me, as I already participated in that general faith, and I shared it with you. You also accepted that general faith. You came into that common faith, and you have also become a member of God's household, a member of the family of God. You have now become one of God's elect, and as an elect of God, a chosen of God, you have been commissioned. When you win an election in this country, it is said you have been given a mandate. Have you heard of the word mandate? When you win an election in Nigeria, politically speaking, it is said you have a mandate for four years. Then after four years, you contest again for another four-year term. You know, so you, it is said you have a mandate. You have uh, the political authority to lead the people of this nation you know, for another four years. Now, when you have become God's elect, it's like saying you won an election. God's elect. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, those few that are chosen were not chosen uh, 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 um, uh, with a certain bias on the part of God. No. When you chose God, he chooses you. Now, I am Christ chosen. Jesus chose me. But I can boldly say I am Christ chosen today because I chose him too. Now, in First John chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says we love him. That's First John 4, First John 4, 19. Chapter 4, verse 19 of First John. We love him. That's what that verse says. We love him. Because he first loved us. There was no capacity and any nature of love in us for us to be able to love God if he had not first loved us. Did you get that? If he had not first loved us, when, when he loved us, he showed his love to us. He showed us grace. We that were dead in trespasses and sins, we became reborn, recreated, redeemed. And so we became spiritually alive and if we are born of God and God is love, then we are born of love and love becomes our nature. So we start loving God when we get born again. You really start loving God after you got born again. And, and there's no way you could even be born again if he didn't love you because it was love that made him to show you grace. Grace does not bring love. It is love that brings grace. Now, if grace is mercy and uh, favor, you can never show mercy like forgiving somebody that's mercy. You can't show mercy if you don't have love. Now, if you if if you show mercy to somebody, mercy means the person deserves punishment. But you take away from him the punishment that he deserves. That's what mercy does. Mercy takes away, favor bestows. Favor gives to you what you don't even deserve. A promotion you don't deserve, favor gives it to you. The punishment you deserve, mercy takes it away. You dis as, as sinners, when we're all unbelievers, we all deserve to go to hell, to be punished, to suffer eternal damnation in hell. 
that's the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God. The wages of sin is still death. The wages of sin is death. So we all merited death. For we were all sinners. Amen. God's mercy said no. I think some people wrote a song. God. Mercy said no. Mercy said no. No, no, no. no. Mercy said no, no, no. no. I'm not going to let you go to that hell. Mercy speaks. Grace speaks. The blood speaks. Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ that speaks better things than the blood of... Mercy said, no, 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 no I'm not going to let you go to hell. You, de- you deserve to go, but I am mercy. I won't let you go. Amen? Mercy takes away the punishment that is due you. Then, God didn't only show us mercy. He showed us favor. Favor I remember I, I dealt with this issue in Love versus Grace. I mean, if you have ever seen that, my book, Love versus Grace, anybody here? I wrote a book in 1996. Do you know what happened? I wrote that book in 96, and in 1997, Archbishop Idaos made it compulsory for all their final year students in uh, All Nations for Christ Bible Institute. I think that was his Bible school in Benin City. Christ for, for all nations is Renard Bonke. Christ for all nations. That's Renard Bonke. Uh, Bishop, it also had all nations for Christ Bible Institute. And their graduating students, their graduating students were told to read that book. So in that book, chapter one of that book is the law. That, remember? The law. Then chapter two Grace. Chapter 3, Grace. Because the title of the book is Law versus Grace. Law versus Grace. Chapter 1, The Law. Chapter 2, Grace. Then chapter 3, Law versus Grace. That's chapter 3, Law versus Grace. Then chapter 4. The danger of mixing law with grace. Is that correct? The dangers of now don't forget, one day chapter there is uh, the Christians' common problems with the law. Yeah, that was one. The death chapter for the Christians' common problems. But what I said there is that mercy, when, when you say grace, grace is like a coin that has two sides. One side of grace is mercy. And one side of grace is favor. If mercy is not there, there is no grace. If favor is not there, there is no grace. Amen. Mercy takes away the punishment that is due us. And favor gives to us the position we do not merit. For example, that we should not be seated at the right hand of God. That's a great demonstration of favor. Favor. We didn't qualify. Do you know what that means? If we are seated in Christ in the heavenly places, it means we sit on the same throne that the Father sits. God is on that throne. The Holy Spirit is on that throne. 
and Jesus is on that throne. There are three of them on that throne. But we sit in Christ with God. In Christ. Sister Grace is holding her baby right there. There was a time we were not seeing that baby. The baby was just inside the stomach. And each time Grace sat in church, we saw Grace, we didn't see that baby. But the baby was there until she pushed out the baby and we started seeing the baby. Now the baby is there now. Now we are in Christ. Our lives are healed with Christ. Healing Christ. With Christ. We are in Christ. It's prepositional and positional. We are in Christ. And Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Just picture that. God, Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand of, the, of God the Father. Where are the Christians? In Christ. You don't, you don't have four people there. God the Father. Talking about the seat of authority, the seat of dominion. I remember in 2004, I preached a message, the seat of dominion in Isolo. One church, oh, they had a program and I preached that. It was one of the best messages I ever preached. I really enjoyed myself that night. The seat of dominion. God sitting on the seat, the throne of authority, the seat of dominion. Jesus is seated there. The Holy Ghost is seated there. And the believers are made to sit on the same throne. Wait a minute. That sounds blasphemous to people who don't know Bible. And except you understand Ephesians. That's why I always say young converts, you have no business reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First, when you just get born, you go and read Ephesians. That's the first book compulsory for every young convert. No matter how old you are, biologically speaking, once you just get born again, the first book, read Ephesians. Don't read Matthew. Don't, some people think the Bible is a novel. They'll go to Genesis. Say, you must start from page one to page one. No, the Bible is not that way. Read Ephesians first. It tells you your position in Christ. It tells you who you are. It tells you your rights and privileges in Christ. And then after Ephesians, you read Colossians. And then after Colossians, read Galatians. Come to Philippians. Then after that, go and read the book of Romans. After that, you come to the book of Acts. All these Timothy, they don't yet even concern you. Those are pastoral letters. Just like that. I'm telling you this because you will be winning souls outside and I'm not there. So that you can, you know, sometimes I deliberately say some things in church, believing that them that hear me will convey the message to, uh, to those that will hear them. You that hear me will convey the message to them that will hear you. And I like the way Paul put it when he was talking to Timothy. He said, my son Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, I did not say it privately, I said it openly, everybody heard me. He said, the things you heard from me among many witnesses, commit thou to faithful men who shall to teach others also. Let's perpetrate doctrine. You heard, don't let it die. Take it to a third generation. First generation, Apostle Paul. Second generation, Timothy. Them that hear Timothy, third generation. And to them that will hear them, fourth generation. That's perpetuity of doctrine. And sometimes when I'm teaching in this church, I'm like, God, I just pray. They first of all understand what I'm saying. And when they understand it, that they may have zeal 
to go share it with others. There are some people that you have been able to teach them the, uh, the idolatries of Christmas, the idolatries of Easter, and, 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 and they are not in God's Pavilion, but they have heard that. And hear it. God wants people to hear those things. Amen? So, let me show you something quickly. Ephesians. Do you know, before we read Ephesians, there is nothing like God the Father, God the Son, I'm talking about the seat of dominion in the heavenly places. You don't have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then the church making form. No. There will always be three. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then the church was exalted. The, 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 the believers were taken to the spirit realm and made to sit on the same seat. But there are not four persons. The Father, Son, Holy Ghost are already there. And it will always be three. But the believers are subsumed in Christ. So when Christ takes his seat at the right hand of the Father, the church takes his seat. In other words, the church is not separate from Christ. Because Christ is the head of the church. You, you can't remove this head from the body. That was why as soon as if you remove this head from the body, the body is dead. And the church is dead. The church of the living God is a living spiritual organism. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. Amen? The church is not an organization. It's an organism. So, you find Jesus Christ receiving the Holy Ghost 10 days. That's not the Holy Ghost that he received down here some 30 years, uh, some, some 3 years ago when John the Baptist baptized him and the Holy Ghost came from him. No, that's, that's a different thing. Now, you, the, the Holy Ghost can put upon a man different anointing. Now, we all have the Holy Ghost. There's an anointing to prophesy on some people. There's an anointing to heal the sick on some people. There's an anointing to, 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 to give word of knowledge. Those are gifts. The spouse by the self-same spirit. The Holy Ghost that came upon, upon Jesus put an anointing on him to be able to live a successful ministerial life. The three years he was here. But after Jesus died, both physically and spiritually, and then was raised again spiritually and physically, and then he went to heaven, he now needed to receive an anointing for what, what is called a post-resurrection ministry. Jesus Christ has become a priest. Or no, not a priest. The high priest of our profession. He needed to have another confinement of power. And that was the day God poured that oil on his head and say, as from today, I want all of the whole universe to know that I have divested myself of all authority and invested them on my son Jesus so that all of creation will bow to my son. And anybody who says Jesus is Lord has thereby glorified me who has raised up Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to reign till he has put then Jesus will once again be subject to me. Jesus is not subject to God right now and neither is God subject to Jesus. 
God can't come under Jesus. Bible tells us on Sunday when we're teaching that when he said he has put all things under his feet, it is, a, it, is, it, is, it is manifest that himself is exempted. That God who put all things under Jesus cannot join the things to be under Jesus. It is manifest that he who put all things under him counts himself out of that. I put every, everything under Jesus. If I tell everybody bow to my son Jesus because I have divested myself and put everything in Jesus and all creation must bow to Jesus. Animate and inanimate things must bow to Jesus. That doesn't mean I, God, who put all things under Jesus must join all of Una to, to be under Jesus and join Una to bow to Jesus. So what happens is that God steps aside and puts Jesus on display. Put Jesus on the scene and tell the whole world, worship him. Let's clap for Jesus. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. And then from that day, the name of Jesus be began to be a terror to every evil spirit. And you couldn't use the name of God anymore to cast out. You can't do that in the name of God. Demons come out in the name of Jehovah God. Demons come out. No, no demon will come out. But immediately you say, Jesus. All the demons start shaking. Because the demons were told that day that God poured the oil on Jesus. Let all heaven and earth hear me. All power belong to Jesus. And Jesus said it himself in, John, in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 and 19. Let's quickly read that quickly. Matthew 28. Are you enjoying it? I want to make sure the word of God is always exciting to you. Matthew 28. Look at verse 18. Have you seen 18? And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Wait a minute, you must understand Jesus was saying this in already returned from heaven. I hope you know that. When Jesus from the dead, he went to heaven that same day. Evening of that same day, he came back to the world. He came back that same day when he appeared, you know, before two disciples that John to that were journeying to a mouse. So it's two times Jesus had gone to heaven's resurrection. Amen. It's twice. He resurrected and immediately went to heaven. You remember Mary wanted to hug him in that garden. He said, Don't touch me since I've not yet gone to my father. Is that correct? He said, See thou do it not. Don't, don't touch me not. He was on his way to heaven. And he just resurrected from the dead. No, no, no mortal man. It's not because he didn't want a female to hug him. No. Even if it was, even if it was Peter or John that wanted to hug him at that time. Amen. He still would have said, don't touch me. Because in the Old Testament, when the priests were going into the Holy of Holies, once they've gone through the rituals of purification, wash, the ritual washes and everything, and that, you know, that rope, that chain is tied to their, their feet and they start going with trepidation into the holy place, once they finish all their ritual of worship, their purification, nobody touched them. In wife, mama, children, they don't, they don't hug him. Everybody will stay outside the outer court and they begin to listen to those jingle bells that are on those. You remember the story in the Old Testament like that? So they'll be, they'll just be to make sure he's alive. After he has done all the purification rites, before he starts going into the holy place and the holy of holies, once he has done that purification, 
Nobody can hug the priest at that time. Because immediately you touch him at that time, his sin is, is transferred to him again. So nobody hugs him. Even, you know, until he's done, he's out. If he's not stricken dead inside that place. Because if he made any little mistake, he's a dead man. And once those bells stop jingling, Israel begins to cry outside. Oh, it's going to be a year of disaster. It's going to be because that thing was a yearly probation, and so they would they would just drag him out, pull their whole man out, pull him, drag him out. He's dead. They take him for bed. Everybody will start crying. But once he succeeded and comes out, oh, everybody, his relations, wife, children, they go and hug him. It's a great thing. So when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was a new creation. He's called the, the, the head of the new creation. The first person to be born again was Jesus Christ. Nobody was ever born again. He's also called the first begotten from the dead. The word first begotten from the dead is not talking about physical death because himself had already raised Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus was not the first person to experience physical resurrection. He had already raised up people. But he's the first person to experience a spiritual resurrection which is being born again. Nobody was ever born again before Jesus Christ. Because he died spiritually on cross. So he needed to be reborn. If he was not reborn while in hell, on, it took three days. On the third day, the Holy Ghost came from heaven, passed through this earth, went to regions under the earth, located Jesus in hell, suffering and being tormented. But the Holy Ghost came and quickened, made Jesus alive. Jesus got born again. It was after Jesus got born again that he was able to throw principalities and powers off of him. And he really scattered, he scattered hell. Amen. So he came out. His spiritual self. And then he knew where his body was kept. Spiritually, because the body was in the tomb. But the spirit was in hell. The tomb is no more than six feet deep, like your grave. But hell is under this earth. That's where, at his death, the body was separate. The body was put in that tomb, but the spirit and soul always go together. Those who went to hell, that those were in hell for three days. When Jesus got born again in hell and came out a new creation, he now needed his body again. So he sneaked back and located his body in the tomb. So two resurrections took place. He first resurrected from hell spiritually, meaning he got born again. He went to the tomb. He knew where his body was kept and entered into that body again and came out of the grave. So that one is what everybody knows. Jesus physically rose from the dead. He first rose from the dead spiritually before he could come out of the dead physically. Does that make some sense? There's a spiritual resurrection. There's a physical resurrection. It's the physical one people mostly know. Now, when Jesus came out like that, he's a new creation. He's without sin. So, he was going to the Holy of Holies in heaven to use the blood that had been kept. Because the reason he was rushing back to heaven, there's a blood waiting. Three days ago, when Jesus died on the cross, the blood that was shed, even though that blood was, you know, the cross on which he was bleeding, some of the blood will stain the cross. Uh, the cross. You see a wooden cross, you see it stained on the ground and everything. But that does not mean any drop of blood was wasted that Jesus shed. There's a spiritual essence of blood. 
When an accident happens on the highway and many people die in that vehicle accident, you see the blood stain on the vehicle's uh, seat or anywhere, if you, you know. And then you think that blood was wasted. The witches and the wizards that caused the accident, they are only interested in the spiritual essence of that blood, not the physical one. The spiritual essence is taken. And they will tell you they use the blood of the accident victims as refreshment wine in their witch's coven. You'll be wondering which blood did they use in the coven because I went to the accident scene and the blood of the dead passengers was on the seat. Are you catching what I'm saying? There's always a spiritual essence of something. The life of the animal, the Bible tells us in Leviticus, is in the blood. When Jesus died on the cross, both demons and angels were, were, were around Martin Calvary. That day, it's not only demons that were there. The demons were clapping for the soldiers. Men are them. Yes, this man, don't, he don't disturb us too much. Nobody ever cast out demons, disturb our kingdom like this man. Finally, we don't nail them. The demons were clapping. And angels were also there. And those angels could have beaten those demons. But the angels watched Jesus die. But strengthen him for the time they were to strengthen him till he finally said, Lord, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Because Jesus would have died even before they nailed him to the cross. The beating he received at the backyard of Pilate was enough to kill him. But angels all along were just strengthening him so that he does not die in that man's backyard. If he had died in that man's backyard, all of us would still be in our sin. For it was destined that he must die only on the cross. So angels were strengthening him. He was barely able to breathe. He was not at a point, he was not able to carry that cross until Simon of Cyrene came and helped him. So it was angels that just, it's like just giving him some false energy to strengthen him to get to Golgotha. And from 9 a.m. when they put him on that cross till around uh, 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 3 p.m. He was bleeding that hot afternoon. Man, that man suffered. In all that blood, there is none that is left there, though you physically see that did not arrive in heaven. That was one blood that God did not allow demons or witches to lap up. Because the blood of Jesus was not supposed to appear in witches' coven. It was supposed to appear at the mercy seat in heaven. There's a mercy seat. Have I taught you those things before? There is a holy of holies in heaven which the earthly tabernacle was patterned after. So when they have the altar court, holy place and the most holy place, there is actually a place like that in heaven. And the most holy place in heaven is where the blood of Jesus Christ was taken to. But who took the blood there? Because the same way who took the blood from the accident scene to the witch's coven is the demons. Now, who took the blood of Jesus Christ from Martin Calvary to the Holy of Holies in heaven? Angels. The demons were present when Jesus was bleeding. They were just waiting for him to, st to stop breathing and die so that they can do whatever some of them were even thinking they can just grab. Of course, the demons grabbed Jesus. As soon as he stopped breathing, they dragged his soul. It was not God who sent Jesus to hell. It was the demons. They grabbed his soul and they dragged him down to hell. It was only the body that was buried three hours after. The body that was taken to a bottle tomb didn't contain the spirit and the soul. The soul had already been languishing in hell for three hours. From three o'clock, Till 6 o'clock when he was physically buried, the soul of Jesus had reached hell. All the demons have been dealing with him. They dragged him down to hell. Three hours later, he stopped breathing. And now they took his body for burial. Now, the demons would have been waiting to see what they can do with that blood. But they will see they can't do anything. But the angels came and took it. Put it in a heavenly golden bowl and put it 
father said he should keep it there, keep it there. Three, uh, three days time, my son is coming back. Only my son qualifies to use the blood to minister. And so Jesus first went to taste hell, came out a new creation, a born again personality. And now one woman wanted to touch him in the garden. He said, don't touch me yet, madam, because I have not yet ascended. Any man that touched me will... See, if that woman has succeeded, succeeded in touching Jesus Christ, hell, humanity is doomed. Everything Jesus went to do in hell would have spoiled. Jesus Christ would have been contaminated and he would not be, ah, no, 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 no. Will he die a second time? No. Will he, no. So he told the woman, don't do it. So he went to heaven clean, holy. And the blood was kept waiting three days ago. And so he used the blood to sprinkle the heavenly objects. Sprinkle the heavenly objects. And as he was sprinkling those things, Jesus Christ was speaking the things that New Testament people will enjoy, all the New Testament realities. This one, this one, and sprinkled everything, forgiveness of sins, dominion over the enemy, this and that. He was, was sprinkling everything. Then when he was done ministry, that's his first post-resurrection ministry, he came back down and spent 40 days. It was when he came down, the first thing that that's recorded, recorded of him when he came down was that he met two guys going to a mouse and he became the third person and they were just gisting, blah, 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 what happened until they enter one house, Jesus broke bread, their eyes opened, Jesus vanished, you know all that story, that's the first thing. Now, what am I trying to say? There is a seat in heaven. That blood that was shed was what qualified us. The blood did not only minister mercy, the blood ministered favor. So it is the mercy and the favor that we call grace. I want to read something to you. Oh, wait a minute. Look at 18 again, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now this word all power is not an accurate translation. The Greek word is exousia. And exousia is corrected in our New King James Bible. The New King James Bible tells you all authority. And some of your Bibles might even have all authority. Is there anybody that has all authority? Okay. And that is the correct one. So Jesus is saying all authority is given unto me. What, what led me to be talking about how Jesus went to heaven and came back? He, don't forget as he was making this statement, he had already returned. These are some of the statements he made after he had returned from heaven. And spent extra 40 days on earth. Before he finally went back to heaven. And since then he has not come back. They are still, still waiting. Now the Christians are the ones that will see him first. He will appear in the sky and take us out with him. When he shows up. In what is called. Those who love his appearing. Now. He couldn't say this. He could not say this. When he had not died. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. No, he couldn't say that. All authority in heaven and on earth was in the Father. Was in what? God the Father. When he died and rose again, that's what you read in uh, Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee, 
The only knee that will not bow is Jehovah God's, Father God's knee. And the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not, the Holy Spirit will not bow his knee to Jesus. God the Father will not bow his knee to Jesus. But every other thing, angels, animals, the trees, the ants, the millipede, the snakes, everything that we don't even know can they bow to the name of Jesus. They are this this pole here that are dead things, they have in, they have spiritual intelligence. They know the name of Jesus. They bow to the name of Jesus. Of things in heaven, of things in earth. That became only possible after Jesus rose from the dead. Not even when he just rose from the dead. He needed to go to heaven. That's why he stopped the woman from hugging him. He needed to go to heaven and obtain that power, which is actually authority. When he got there, the father transferred power to him. He had collected that power and came back in the evening of that day. And so he's able to now talk in Matthew 28, the concluding part of this gospel. He's beginning to say, all authority in heaven. When was all authority given to him? When he ascended to heaven after resurrection and obtained the power from his father. Let's clap for Jesus. Now, look at Ephesians. Let's read. Uh, let's read from verse 19 just to save time. Are you in verse 19? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ, which he demonstrated, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now wait a minute. God the Father set Jesus Christ at where? His own right hand. The word right hand actually means a position of authority. That's really what it means. It's not just physical. It set Jesus Christ. Who is the right hand man to Buhari? Whether it is just uh, it's, it's a and job. Whether they sometimes don't even invite him to their meeting. But at least constitutionally speaking, the right hand man to Buhari is Oshimbanjo. That's why when Buhari is out of the country, they will transfer power to Oshimbanjo. So, which he wrote in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set Jesus at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality. Now, he's telling you how far Jesus was elevated above all principalities, all power, all might, all dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Wait, wait, wait a minute, look at He said, he gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church. Now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says, he made Jesus to be the head over the church. Now, the church is on earth. The head is in heaven. There is a spiritual linkage between the head in heaven and the body on earth. And he said, he has made, he has put, verse 22, and has put all things under his feet. When they say all things are put under Jesus' feet, that is telling you all things are put under the feet of the church. Are put under the church, sorry. Because the church 
the church from the shoulder down is the church. The head is Jesus Christ. My hands, my legs, they are part of my body. And if all things are put under the, the are put under the church, and the church is the body of Jesus. So whenever we say the devil is under my feet, we really know what we are saying. You know why? Because we are a part of the body of Christ. Amen. All things are put under the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 1 is saying. All things are put under the feet of Jesus Christ. Not physically. Because Jesus is not physically here. But the church is the body of Christ. So we that are here must know that he's talking about us. All things are put under the church. The church sits over all things in dominion. The church is a mighty spiritual organism. The church is the body of Christ. All things are under the church and the church is part of the body. Oh, the church is the body, sorry. And the feet are of the body. And so Jesus is in heaven there and the church is exercising authority on the behalf of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is not casting out demons anymore. I hope you know that. He's not. He has finished doing that before he went to the cross. Since Christ cast out any last demon he ever encountered before he went to the cross, he had not cast out any demon again since then. But what does he do? He says, Church, go in my name. This sign shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. So when we are casting out devils, Jesus is excited. That is what he would have been doing if he were here physically. But because he's not here, we do those things on his behalf. Say amen. When we cast out demons, we are doing exactly what Jesus loved to do. He loved to do it. He did it while he was here. He's no more physically here, but he has put us here. And by delegated authority, power of attorney, we cast out demons in his name. We exercise power over the devil and his demons in, in his name. That's called power of attorney. Delegated authority. Now, we, we don't have a problem believing that everything is put under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand. Oh, seated with Christ in the heaven. Let's just now see the one that many Christians find God to believe. We go to chapter 2. Are you in chapter 2? Verse 1. And you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's talking about our being born again. Amen? We he has made alive. Say amen. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins had quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. And has raised us up together. Uh -huh. Somebody say raised us up together. In verse 1. We saw that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Is that correct? God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And made him to sit in his own right hand in heavenly places. Is that not what chapter 1 says? That one is very easy for believers to understand. But when you get to chapter 2. He starts telling you that when Jesus was raised up from the dead. And taken to the right hand of the father in heavenly places. It wasn't really only him that was raised from the dead. When Jesus was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead. 
Because he died as us. He didn't only die for us. Oh, when we say Jesus died for me, that's true. But it's, it's, he has a deeper truth when you say he died as me. I was a sinner and I needed to go to hell. Jesus took my sins upon himself and died in my name. He died as Theo the sinner that I was. He didn't die as Jesus Christ too. No, Jesus Christ cannot die. He, Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin for us. He took our place. He took Odion's place. Enos place. It's possible for us to die because we were sinners. But he couldn't die. He was without sin. But as soon as he, he took our place, meaning he took our place in sin, he identified with our sin. He became sin. In fact, he was not even worse than us. Because we were not sin, we were sinners. He was sin. Sin is worse than being a sinner. Being sin is worse than being a sinner. Mm. I don't want to, that will take me some 20 more minutes to explain. Let's just leave that one hanging. Jesus Christ did not die as a sinner. He died as a sin. And that's why it was possible for God to turn his back on him. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Because when God was looking at Jesus on the cross, he wasn't seeing Jesus, he was seeing sin. He can never turn his back on his son. But it wasn't his son he was seeing, he was seeing sin. So, they just said, I can't, I can't even stand and look at sin. It's too irritating. He just turned his back on sin. And immediately he turned his back. Jesus knew Papa God, don't verse it, don't turn his back. And Papa God, he said, God, God can't look, he can't even, God can't look at sin. It's irritating. Turn his back. And there was a spiritual blackout, power outage. Jesus knew it. And he shouted, He lied, He lied. Lament Sabbath, Tiny. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he didn't hear Father God reply. That was in the day of his flesh. And maybe he heard, yeah, at least he had not died physically. Father God said, No, I didn't turn my back on you. I turned my back on sin. I don't turn my back on my son. I turned my back on sin. Are you following it? Turn my back on sin. And God never returned his face until three days when the Holy Ghost went to recreate Jesus in him. When Jesus got born again, that day God now said, this day have I begotten thee. Did you remember there's a place in the Bible? This day have I begotten thee. That is the day that Jesus got born again. He became son of God. The first begotten from the dead. The first person to go to hell and come back a new creation. And because somebody went to hell and came out of hell, uh, somebody experienced spiritual death and now he has new life, it became possible for us who were spiritually dead to receive new life. Nobody could be born again if Jesus was not first born again. He had to test it, he had to experience it. Jesus was the first person. That's why he's called our elder brother. But say, wherefore, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Oh, Jesus called us brothers. That's the way he actually, Jesus actually sees us as his brothers. He's the head of the new creation. Because God doesn't have grandchildren. As Jesus Christ is the son of God, we are sons of God. In 1 John, uh, 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 John chapter 3, 
He said, now are we the sons of God. Now, how is it possible that we are sons of God? Because Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, died for us, died as us, and then rose again from the dead, having blotted out our, trans, our, our transgressions. And now, our placing our faith on him make us to have the kind of new life that he has. By faith, we participate in his new life. The Zoe of God is imparted to our spirit. We are just as righteous as Jesus is righteous. And God sees us just as holy as Jesus. So he sees us all as children. Not that, oh, uh, Jesus is my son. Jesus can't give birth to all these other children. These are my grandchildren. There are no grandchildren. They are also. Amen. Still in Ephesians 2. And has, verse 5, even when we are dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ, and has, verse 6, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together. Just those two words. Shall we they say Jesus Christ is seated in the right hand of the majesty on high? Is that not what the Bible says? And so you just see Jesus as the only one sitting there. He said, we Christians are also sitting there. We are not physically there. We are still on earth here. Our head is in heaven. The body has absolute rights of that throne. Hello? But when the spiritual head that is on the throne is receiving worship, the body doesn't receive worship. The body, does. the church does not receive worship. But the head is up there the body is down here. All principalities and power. They bow, they wash, they give, they do obeisance to that name. But not to the church. But the name, the power in the name is given to the church. The church can exercise authority and dominion on this earth because of that name. So, you must remember this verse 6. It's important for all Christians to know this. That God raised us up together. You know that when he raised Jesus up, he raised us up. When he made Jesus to sit at his, at his own right hand, he made us to sit at his own right hand. In what? Heavenly places. Verse 7, why did God do that? So that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. This is the favor and mercy. In his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. So that in ages to come, when the story is told that a people that were sinners have been forgiven, who were dead have been made alive, and raised together with Christ, verse says we are raised together with Christ, and we sit together with him, then you will say how amazing is that kind of a grace that can blot away the sins of people by mercy. You did not only forgive them their sins, you now took them to a position higher than of pre-fall man. The Adam and Eve never operated this realm. Even Adam, Adam that did not even know sin at that time, was never a member of the Godhead. Adam never sat in the heavenly places. We Christians, we sit in heavenly places. Forget your address here in Ikorodu. We, our real spiritual address is heavenly places. That's why the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven above. Let's clap for Jesus. Forget about the fact that we are in Nigeria here. 
No, our home, our residence address is actually up there, not in Korodu here. These are just physical ones. They give you a form to fill. Uh, your address, you fill your, your place in, in the Korodu. That one is according to the flesh. But spiritually, you are a heaven knight. You sit on the seat of dominion. As Christ was raised up and placed on that seat of dominion, we were raised together with him. We sit together with him. And so, whenever you are saying the name of Jesus, demons come out, the demon is not seeing you as an dweller, casting him out. See, just say, no, when I know you, the day you were born, this day, no, we'll be a quiet born again. That is not the way demons see you. When you are casting out demons, demons sees you talking, issuing decrees from the throne. The, the, there is kingdom authority backing the words that we speak. When you, see, when, when people are saying, don't talk to me like that, I, I, I will show you that I'm a woman, I will deal with you. Or I will show you that I'm a... One lady told me, he said, I, I will show you that I'm an Mbise woman. You remember that story? Saying, go show me, say, Mbise woman. I was like, And you Christians will be any issues with them like that. I'll be saying, hey, if you have your Mbise, I'll be proper a dog man. I will tell you, say, our place, we strong pass on our place. Eh? Calabano, the carry last. Don't, don't join unbelievers like that. Once the person say, I will show you I'm an man, I will tell you that I'm a heaven knight. That's where you talk. Don't quote the village you are from. All those, see, you have lower yourself. Once you go and mention your village, you don't lower yourself. You have been raised with Christ. You have been made to sit with Christ in heavenly places. And you go go to mention in most state. In most state is where they are quoting. Say, I will show you I'm an man. You, once you talk like that, if I if you, if you threaten me and you're mentioning where you are from, I don't say I don't finish you. I don't finish you. I am a citizen of heaven. I am from Zion. I operate from the throne of God. I am seated at the right hand of God the Father. Listen, Jesus is literally, physically the one sitting at the right hand of the Father. But we are in Him. So, you don't understand. See, you need to understand your creation reality. Where Jesus is seated is where we are. That's where I am. That's where you are. And that is the only reason demons bow to Christians. Because it is kingdom authority we exercise. Oh, Lord. Let's clap for Jesus. When you are saying, the name of Jesus come out, the demon simply sees an authority from heaven against him. The decree is coming from the throne of God. Oh, but I'm speaking here in paraphrase. No, the man commanding, that's the way demons see it. The man commanding me to come out has kingdom authority back. Heaven's kingdom authority backing him up. Because the man said in the name of Jesus, demons know that. They have enough sense to know that that name, whoever has access to the use of that name, it's not just, it's not just, it's not an ordinary person. Amen? I'll show you, I'm already going back to Titus. Let's find again, Paul is servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. Now, I told you that the word God's elect means the chosen ones of God. 
a people called out of darkness. They called out a highly favored people. There's something I will read tonight before I let you go. Exodus 19, so that you have an idea of this elect. This led report keep talking about. Exodus 19. The elect of God. There are four kinds of God's elect that the Bible talks about. We'll just see if we can look at one in a few minutes. Someone say four kinds of God's elect. You know Buari is Nigeria's elect. Eh? Whether we like him or not, he has a mandate. 2023 is coming. They will do another election. Another person will be sworn in as president. That will become another elect, another uh, 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 political elect. Amen? With a mandate for another four years. Have you seen Exodus 19? Okay. Let's read from verse 4. God is talking to Moses from verse 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. You know here they just came out of Egypt. And how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure. Someone say peculiar treasure. Did you know this same word was used by Peter? A peculiar people, a chosen generation. Is that correct? A peculiar people, a chosen generation. Talking about the church of Jesus. The church is one of God's elect. Mentioned in the Bible. There are four elects that the Bible dealt with. But the final one is the church. Before, we, before the church ever became God's elect, there were three elects before, before the church, which is the final elect of God. Meaning chosen people. The church is God's elect body. Chosen. Mandated. Authorized. Sworn into office. You know it's not the day you win election you are sworn in. Is that correct? Shebe Soludo. Soludo of uh, Anambra State. They just swore him in. Recently. But about three months ago or thereabout he won the election. Amen. The church has been sworn in. Do you know when the church got sworn in? In Acts chapter 2. 120 disciples, they were already believers. God said, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued. In other words, it wasn't just all power to be doing this until the church is officially inaugurated. There was no church in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, you had individual believers that had not been baked together into like a loaf of bread. They were just individual believers. 120 disciples. When the Holy Ghost came in Acts chapter 2, they became a living organism. They became the church. There was no church in chapter 1. Acts. Acts chapter 2. That's where it, it was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost came that that those guys actually got born again. They were not even born again before that time. Jesus had risen from the dead. They were not born again. Ten days after Jesus went to heaven and received that fresh oil and passed it across to them in the upper room, that was when they got recreated in their spirits. They got born again. 
and they got baptized in the Holy Ghost the same moment and they became members of the church and the church was instituted. The church was inaugurated. The church was sworn in as the final elect of God. The church is God's elect. But what I'm trying to do now in just five more minutes before we go is to let you know the oldest elect of God. Okay. Now, you see something here. Now, therefore, verse 5, Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and you keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You know what he's saying here, Lawrence? God is trying to say, the whole world, all have seen, whether Jews or Gentiles, all have seen, look, they're, 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 all have seen, short of the glory of God. But I want to save the whole world. And I want to have some people chosen from this whole world and call them, this God's idea. I, I want to have a peculiar people. I want to pick a peculiar treasure. I want to pick some people and make them a different race of people. After all, the Jews, they were also part of the, the Gentile world. From there they were picked. Now, he said, I want to make a peculiar treasure for myself. A peculiar people. The Jews, Israel, the Israelites were a peculiar treasure unto God. He said, I will use Israel to evangelize the nations of the world. The people who wrote the Bible are Israelis. They are not Americans. They are not British. All the people who wrote the Bible, Abby, they are Israelites. The people who went to preach to the Gentiles to accept Christ, whether it's Peter who went to preach in Babylon, whether it's uh, Paul who went to preach in Philippi or wherever, they are Jewish people. Paul is a Jew. So he made, he, he elected Israel and said, you are a peculiar treasure unto me. He said, but the whole world is mine. I will deal with you first. When I have trained you and I have made you to understand the purpose for which I have called you, I will launch you out as a missile and, and preach to the rest of the world. That's why you started having proselytizing. They were Gentile proselytes to the Jewish faith. Whenever a Gentile was preached to, the Jews were preaching Whenever they preached to Gentiles, they were preaching the laws of Moses. And any Gentile that accepted the laws of Moses, they would circumcise that person. And circumcision is like the water baptism we do today. When you accept Christ, you, you, you are taken to the water side for baptism. If you accept to live your life according to the dictates of the law of Moses, even though you were a Philistine, you were an Egyptian, they will circumcise you and then you start living your life according to the dictates of the law of Moses. You are called a proselyte, meaning a Gentile convert to Jewish religion. They proselytize you. The Jews were doing that. They were a peculiar people. They were a missionary nation. Just like God will raise up an evangelist and say, go and preach to me. Israel was called an evangelistic nation. Go and evangelize the world. The whole world is mine, but you, I, I, will, I will show you peculiar favor. I will show you peculiar favor, show you peculiar mercy. I will promote you. If a Gentile came against a Jew and the Jew knew his covenant right, he will always flood the Gentile. And that was what David did, a small teenage boy, looking at a Gentile Goliath, a champion of war, saying to him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's trying to say he has not even been converted. 
to be circumcised means to be proselytized. Who are you? You are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You are without God, having no hope in this world. That's what Paul was telling the Ephesians. He said at that time, before you guys got born again, he said you were without God, having no hope, alienated from the covenants of promise. Gentiles were godless and they were hopeless. That's why I laugh at people that say Christians, a guess you know where to Because you are a Christian. I just laugh. Because those that shall not wear this, that shall not wear that, was given to Jews. They were not given to the Gentiles. Bible said the Gentiles had no God. And how can a, a man that doesn't have God have the laws that came from God? You have no God. Is it his law you will have? So the Gentiles were never told, don't wear trousers. Don't wear this. Don't wear that. Since we're not told the Gentiles. But when a Gentile got proselytized and accepted the Jewish religion and culture, he started abiding by all those thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Eventually, Jesus Christ came and abolished all of that laws, breaking down the middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles and said there is now one new man, Jesus Christ, thus making peace. So, neither man of him, neither Jew nor Greek. And in the church, you don't preach peace. Don't wear no, you don't preach those things in the church. You preach it in Judaism. And Judaism is the religion of the Jews based on the laws of Moses. We are not Judaizers. We are Christians. Judaism is based on the law of Moses while Christianity is based on the grace of Jesus Christ. Clap for Jesus. Once, one verse before we go. One verse. 1 Timothy 5.21 So in, in a sense, Bridget, what we have seen there is that the Jewish nation were God's elect. Now, see, you cannot vote for two candidates in a presidential election. Is that correct? Can you vote for APC and PDP at the same time? To choose it. See, when God said, Israel is my elect, he couldn't say the Gentiles were also my elect. No. It was only Jesus Christ's death that made it possible for the Jews and the Gentiles to become members of God's new elect body. The new elect body is the church. So any Gentile that accepts Christ becomes a member of the church. Any Jew that accepts Christ becomes a member of the church. But God is not even dealing with Jews and Gentiles anymore. He's dealing with the church. The church is now the modern elect of God. The new elect of God is the church. He's no longer the Jews. He's no longer the Gentiles. But quickly look at uh, what did I say turn to? First Timothy 5. Did I tell you? 1 Timothy 5 verse 21. Can I read it? I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Someone said the elect angels. See, when we come back next week, you will see four classes that the word elect was used for. The angels were called the elect angels of God. They were elect beings. They are not ostracized. Of course, those fallen angels who have become the demons today, they are no longer members of the elect angels. Do you, know, do you get what I'm trying to say? Any people that God has a special, you know, favored relationship with, those people are always called elect of God. You, you enjoy certain benefits from God that and God created everything and everybody. But the angels, now say they excel in strength of all the living creatures. 
creatures that God created. The angels are the most powerful. So they are called elect angels. They, they occupy a class that God designed them to and to, to, to operate within. And you know we told, we were discussing the other day that even angel, not even Jesus himself, if an angel appears to you, if they come with that, you know and when angels appear to us in dreams, they kind of lower, there is like lowering volume of something or lowering the temperature. They, they lower the the degree of glory that they carry when they are talking to us. Because if angel comes in their full glory, we are easily slain in the spirit. We fall down. Look at Daniel said when Gabriel came to him in the book of Daniel chapter 9, chapter 10. He said, he said and my strength turned into rottenness. He fell until Gabriel had to take him up and say, Daniel, stand up. And as he's telling Daniel, stand up, he's if he appeared to Dan in his full glory, Daniel would faint again. And that's not Jesus Christ. These are evil angels that dare not even come too close to Jesus. Do you know that? Angels stay afar. And Jesus is there on the throne and they're all doing like this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And those angels, they cannot even look at the face of God. They, use, they have, those angels, especially the ones that have six wings, not all of them have, not all angels have wings. The cherubs and the seraphs, they have wings. Not all angels have wings to fly. Now, somebody come, come and hold this, you know, hold this microphone for me. Let me demonstrate something. Just hold it. Make sure you put it in my mouth. Now, these angels, you know, those cherubs and seraphs, they are the ones that Get, have closer access to God's throne than the other angels. All those other angels that don't have wings cannot even get close because they will just die if they, if they even see the face of God. Because you need to have something to cover. It's like you are, if I, if I, in a dark room, I just come with a torchlight that's very bright. Even if you were sleeping and I just zoom the torch in your eyes, the bright light of the torchlight will open your eyes. Now this angel, the brightness of the glory of God is too much that God designed them with six wings. One wing here, one wing here, two at the back, and one on the use Hold it for me. They will use two wings coming from their hips to cover their feet. The one somewhere on the back, they use it for flying. The wings on the shoulder are not for flying, it's to cover their face. Whenever those angels are coming before the presence of God, they don't even get too close. The first thing they do is they use these wings to cover their face. Because the light is too blind. Those angels can go blind. <laughs> Let's clap for God. He said we twin. He said we twin, they have six wings. He said we twin, they cover their eyes. We twin, they cover their feet. And we two, they did fly. So the other angels that don't even have those wings, don't even dare go there. It's not all angels that go to the throne of God to worship them. Some angels, just they are just on the street. There are streets in heaven. There's a, time, there's a regular time for worship. Just like you have 9 a.m. to come to church and 6 p.m. to go. There is time for worship in heaven. They also have church in heaven. There is choir in heaven. I, God told me all these things. Michael, you know that. In heaven, there is. we are going to have church. Oh. You think when we rapture, we are going to be idle? Let's get there. Everybody will settle in their mansion. But there is a place where we gather to worship. The saints go there like a church. And there is choir on the altar. Church, they have let's clap for Jesus. 
And when the service is going on, you will see Paul, you will see John, you will see Mary, you will see me there. Also. And then the saints of God who raptured have a time they present their, their choir rendition. They, the saints that came to heaven, they have their own choir. There's a time they will sing. There's a time those saints are told to sit down. It's angels that will sing. Like I heard they just saying, Yes, you reign, yes, you. It was a choir. I never, it was not a special, it was a choir. Mass choir. The way they were singing, Yes, you reign, yes, you reign. He beats the one in Odid. That one in Odid, where would they clap for? If it, no, here, you may not follow me here, what the angels were singing. Our own here is very inferior. Hell, angels. Let's clap for Jesus. Somebody say, angels are elect angels of God. Or angels. Angels are always elect of God. The only people now sharing election with the angels are the church. But our election is different. Our own election again is higher than their election. Now, the Jews as elect of God is I'm rushing. Let's, let's not confuse things. Let's close this Bible. Next time. Let's stand up. Now there's an excitement Paul has. When Paul started saying, I caught faith of God's elect. I, I will tell you what made Paul to mention that while he's greeting somebody. Eh? Eh? Titus, my own son, after the common faith. I greet you. Now me, Paul, who is born servant of Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. What was in Paul's mind? Why is he saying all these things? Nobody other greeting one greet. Why is he mentioning? The guy is always excited. He's trying to announce that I have been chosen of God. I am God. I'm a member of the elected family of God. I am God's elect. Somebody shout, I am God's elect. Say, as a believer in Jesus, as one who is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, as one who is a member of the household of God, I am God's chosen. I am God's elect. I have so much to celebrate. I sit with Christ on the seat of dominion above all principalities and power, above every might, above every dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Put your hands together for Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Church, you are not an ordinary person. Remember that. Don't fear what the unbelievers fear. The angels that follow you. Mike, let's remember this. As God's elect, as a Christian, I am God's elect. And God's elect angels are guarding me God's elect. The angels have their own kind of election. The election for House of Assembly member is different from the election of governors. Gubernatorial election is different from a, a parliamentarian election. Is that correct? The angelic election is still somehow inferior to the Christian election. Election. I don't have time because time is gone. Let's go home. They have been elected to protect us God's elect. They are also God's elect. But there are different kinds of election. Our own is a heavier one. Our calling is heavier. Our mandate is bigger. You know why? 
No angel, no angel. Even though they are also elected, angels are not elected to sit on the right hand of God the Father. The church, you and I, brother, you are elected to sit at the right hand of God the Father. But Jesus is there on the right hand, literally, physically for you. And you are here in Nigeria, but you are in him. Your election is greater. Presidential election is greater than House of Assembly election. Good night, everybody.